This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Defense was the name of the game for the Panthers as they swept through the Carolina schools on the road. We'll recap a strong weekend of men's basketball action and preview the home-and-home matchup going down this week with that school down south. It's also baseball opening day this Friday and we'll preview Georgia State's opening games on the diamond. As ever, we'll also tackle any and all listener questions. But first, basketball. Georgia State was riding high on the hardwood as they got a road sweep of Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State last weekend to get back above 500 on the year and back to 500 in Sunbelt play. Their 61-50 win over the Chanticleers on Thursday and 58-49 win over App on Saturday made the Panthers winners of five of their last six games. This run of form has seen Georgia State shoot up the standings as they now sit in sixth in the conference standings at 5-5, five five, a half game behind Arkansas State at 6-5, and, and a full game back of a 7-5 South Alabama in the fourth and final buy spot in the conference tourney as things currently stand. This was also the first time in over a decade that the team has held consecutive opponents to 50 or less points, last achieving that on December 1st and 3rd of 2011 against FIU and Liberty. So, gentlemen, what did we think about this Carolina road trip? It's funny because we keep being like, all right, Georgia State's been a good offensive team. They're going to finally click in that regard, and that's going to be what gets them back on track. And it hasn't really been that. Like, there have been individuals that have been doing more, and I've definitely got a couple of guys to highlight as we talk about this past week's games in that regard. But it's really not been that. It's been they've just gotten better and better at the defensive end. And, you know, the one place where they've maybe improved markedly and that's made a difference on the offensive side is that they're just making free throws now. And that definitely came through in a big way against app on Saturday and four straight road wins. It's four straight road wins in which they've averaged giving up 56 points a game, which is remarkable for when you're going into someone else's arena. And so, yeah, two more wins back above 500 back to 500. A lot could have, you know, even just a split would have felt a lot different. And so getting that road sweep, really, really important, getting back above 500 level in Sunbelt play. And we talked about it a couple of times now that just the schedule sets up nicely. Like they've still got to go win the games that they've got, but two against Georgia Southern this week and then finishing at home against the Louisiana schools. Georgia State's, they've kind of got a good control of where they can finish if they can work their way into a bye because of mostly the work they just did on this road trip. They're doing a lot of really good stuff, you know, and the the crazy part is their end of game management goes a little bit better against the Troy game. And we're sitting here and they're on a six game win streak. And, you know, we we talked about them, you know, being above 500 even before they had to play, you know, this week's games. But, you know, this is where they are for right now. And, you know, they they look good. Like, truthfully, they look good. I think the numbers aren't. The numbers aren't there where you expect them to be. You know, you had a great piece uh, that went up to uh, today at the time of recording um, that talked about, you know, kind of the defense has been the catalyst. But I think even with where they are offensively right now, I still like some of the things that I'm seeing. You know, shots just aren't falling. And for the shots that are falling, 
you know, you're getting production out of guys who, you know, it's, it's not just one player who's stepping up, you know, for example, uh, over the weekend, you had Kane, you know, be the leading scorer against coastal, you know, that game, you know, the Panthers kind of controlled the game a little bit more, um, you know, coastal really just could not do anything, especially in the first half. Um, and then in the game against App State, you know, you had Jalen Thomas kind of be, all right, I'm going to be the scorer who's, you know, going to kind of do things and, you know, kind of lead the way here. And so they're just they're finding guys, even when guys aren't, you know, hitting shots. But it's it's still a group effort. It's still, you know, showcasing that depth that we thought that was going to be, you know, so important for them coming into the season. Yeah, you kind of talked about the two guys I was going to talk about, namely Jalen and really Kane. You know, I think we've been waiting for one of the seniors to really take that step. And it's been not the way we've seen like a team leader on the offensive side in years past with Georgia State, where, you know, Demarcus Simons just he took the ball up every time he was running the offense. He was getting to the rim. RJ, Ryan Harrow kind of split that, but it was it hasn't necessarily been that what's made Kane more effective is that he's taking less shots or he's taking a moderate amount of shots, but he's not going for too many in a game. And the way that's worked out is that in these six wins, counting these last two, or sorry, again, in these five wins, counting these last two against Coastal and App, Kane has averaged 15.8 points a game and has been on 47% shooting. 42% shooting from three, which is a huge step up from where he's been because he's been taking a lot and they just haven't been falling. And then the huge one, he's been 37 to 41 from the free throw line in those games. It's over 90%. It's been exactly what they've been looking for because he's not been trying to do too much, but he's picking his spots where he's just attacking and he's either finishing at the rim or he's actually getting fouled and going to line and then making those free throws, which... At times earlier in the year, he's been maybe pressing a little bit in that regard and trying too much to get those foul calls or trying too much to get to the basket. And he's been racking up a lot of missed shots because he's been driving into contested shots, full lanes, and he's been a lot pickier with it as these games have happened. And he's winning matchups and he's finishing. And he, we saw Crafty Kane just kind of throwing up a couple of shots against App that had no business going in one of them for an and one and that's definitely been a part of his game as he's been in georgia state is he the degree of difficulty on some of the shots that he gets to go in is pretty crazy he's just he's just kind of flicks the ball at the rim and you know guys will make contact and you know get the foul obviously but he still finds a way to you know the basketball gods love him you know, but one, and, thing that, yeah. uh, one thing that I love about his game has been those free throws. You know, I think last year we kind of noticed like Kane shooting a lot of free throws and he's really not getting a good percentage. I think he finished the year with like a 67, 69% free throw percentage, but you know, he's taken eight, nine, 10 a game. Like that's, you know, it's good that he's getting into the line that frequently, but it's not that good if you're, you know, not cashing in. But I think this year, you know, he's kind of gone back to that percentage that he was shooting, you know, in the years prior. And like, it's been, it's been really important because, you know, I, as, as we sit here today, Georgia State is a 70% free throw shooting team. It's not bad. You know, it's not, you know, it's not going to be one of the best numbers in the conference. It's probably going to be upper middle pack. I would have to, I'd probably guess, but you know, I mean, Kane shooting 80% from the line right now. That's, that's what you want. Like he's 73. a 73.4 as a team in conference play. 
which would be fourth. So it has definitely gotten better in recent games, led by Kane's the one taking them. And yeah, I mean, it's like we've talked about it a couple of times over. This is like you want them going to the line and drawing fouls, but it doesn't do you any good if they're missing the foul shots and they've been doing a lot better making it happen to where whenever Kane gets fouled at this point, I'm expecting two of two. And when it doesn't happen, I'm surprised because that's just been the run that he's been on. It's just automatic. And it's been key. Like it's, it's definitely helped Georgia state despite their poor shooting, you know, like against coastal, if you like, I, I feel like Georgia state came out in that game really hot. And, you know, as I look at this now, I can see the numbers, but if you told me before I looked at them, like Georgia state shot under 40%, they shot under 30% from three. I'd be a little bit of surprised because it really seemed like the offense was putting it together and, you know, Coastal couldn't really do anything on offense themselves. So Georgia State was kind of running away with it early. But, you know, it's those 15 made free throws that really helped Georgia State push themselves in keeping that game not close. You know, Kane was responsible for 11 of them. And, and I think there are some guys who have better free throw percentages than their season have shown for it, you know. But at the same time, though, you need somebody like what Kane has been doing. So it's good that Georgia State at least has that presence right now. And you know, the other guy, Jalen Thomas, great weekend offensively. And a lot of it was also just being in the right place and making plays happen, especially against app. Like there were a couple of times he just rolled in the right place and got a shot on the, as a result of it. Um, he had a little bit of foul trouble. He dealt with against app. Otherwise he might've been pushing up in the 20 points range because he was just feeling it. And that's, I think the key word with Jalen has just been feel is that in the games where the shots haven't been falling and it's been more than you'd want to count this year, the feel just hasn't been there. It felt like, like he's either, being forced to the wrong part of the paint or the shot just coming out weird, you know, whatever it is, basketball is a very ritualistic thing. And he got it back this week and it was important. He got double digits in both the games and haven't talked about the other part of it is that he's really been coming on defensively. And you saw that with him getting some blocks in these two games and just being kind of a force. And I mean, the reason why, Coastal and App missed so many shots on the inside is that every time someone was going to the rim, either LEL or Jalen or one of the guards who was driving from, you know, guarding from the perimeter, staying with their guy was just getting hand in the face. And even sometimes multiple bodies were in the way and it was just not giving up easy looks. And that's really the simplest and easiest formula to not giving up points is just not letting teams get easy looks. And, uh, the perimeter defense has been better and you've seen that also bear out in the numbers from three getting worse for opponents than they had been. And so you look at them on the macro, they're still top, you know, most percentage for opponents in some bell play 36.4 from three through these 10 games. And it's still 39% on the season, but it's been ticking incredibly in the right direction because you know the number for the season was in the 40s for a while leading up to this stretch of games and in conference play it was similar like that and so you've seen real improvement and it's you know partly i think it's been the luck is finally bouncing away a little bit better because even a couple of games they've been defending better from three shots were still falling for the other team but you're starting to see it in the results and that's good because you can ha- only have so many games where you're doing the right things and the results aren't going your way 
before it starts to wear on you. And I think Georgia State started 0-4 in conference play. Things were going bad. They were losing some close games. And, you know, it even continued with that Troy loss. But I think that they never got so low that it phased them and took them out of it. They kind of kept their nose at the grind. And, you know, it really is worth repeating again and again. And Coach Thanier has mentioned it at least a couple of times when he's talked about this team. It's really hard to just redefine yourself defensively in the middle of the year. Teams just don't do it. What you do is you get better on offense and tinker around the edges, improve maybe a facet of the defense. You don't do what this Georgia State team has done defensively in the middle of conference play like this. It just doesn't happen. And so credit to them for sticking with it. And they've got themselves in a good position again after this set of games. The confidence part of it is really important. You know, normally when we talk confidence, we think, all right, I've seen my shot go in a couple of times. I'm confident now. But for this team, I think the confidence has been the defensive side of the ball. And that the crazy part about it is earlier when Georgia State was, you know, battling the COVID stuff and, you know, on the terrible losing streak, I honestly felt like the worst part of them was just they faded in games. They just did not have 40 minutes in their legs. And, you know, they weren't able to stick with teams offensively for 40 minutes. The, a, a big part of the switch is the defense. Absolutely. But I think the defense has been what has caused them to just have better late game decision making. You know, that App State game in the sports arena, you know, Justin made that shot and then had that terrible turnover. Justin Forrest comes down, hits that game winner. Boom, we're out of there. You know, similar situations have... Well, a decision was made at the end of the app game that um, was not super smart and basically gave app a little bit of inroads, but continue with your general point. Yes, you know, we'll talk about the Corey Allen thing in a second, but, you know, you've seen other games. The Louisiana game, Georgia State was able to close that out, you know, late spearheaded by their defense the app state game you know it might have looked like a nine point game you know the final score but it was a lot closer at one point very late in the game you know and it's it's what has been able to showcase itself time and time again for them it's just been you know what there's two minutes left in this game we're just going to start playing defense who cares if we get the opportunity to have the ball and make a shot you know we'll make it we won't we'll get to the free throw line we won't but we're just going to play defense and that has been the most important part for them and i think that is the part of the confidence piece that you know it can't be overstated enough and i think it's a thing where it's it's five man commitment all the time. Whereas, and I'm not saying like any individual guy on the team wasn't com- like I trying to do well on defense, it, but earlier in the season, you had times where even if four of the five guys were locked in doing the same thing on defense, if one guy was missing his assignment or just not a hundred percent, maybe a guy slips to the corner to get an open three. And what you're seeing now is a five man. Everyone who's out there is on the same page, playing tough, trusting the guys around them to do what they're supposed to. And it's paying off. And, you know, that's even with LEL off the field, off the court, which, I mean, there were times last year, and I think an expectation when he came back, even this year, that he was going to be the driver of the energy. And obviously he is a big part of the energy. Like that is the biggest thing he brings to the table, but they've been less dependent on him for it. You know, Jaheim can come in in spurts and give that with down low and Jalen's been playing good down low and bringing that and the guards. I mean, I, you can't say enough about just what Nelson Phillips can physically do. And he's a big part of it. And 
the starters too, you know, Kane and Justin and Corey are getting up in guys' grills and they're getting turnovers because of it. You know, Kane had, I think, four steals against that. He would just, there's one of them where he just stayed in Delph's face. Delph kind of tripped a little bit, lost the ball. Kane went out in transition. I think he got fouled and hit two free throws in that sequence. And you're just kind of seeing that where there's really no let off when reserves come in. You're seeing the buy-in from the starters, which, you know, not on this team necessarily, but in sometimes it can be hard to get guys to totally lock in on offense or lock in on defense when the shots aren't falling on offense. And I think you've kind of seen that kind of go by the wayside and everyone's kind of one central purpose. And yeah, I I just, I think guys are making enough plays on offense. You think the shots might start falling at some point and the defense has just been carrying them. And, you know, it's, you're going to need to find the offense and there's still some tightening around the edges with late games that you got to work on and not even just don't get a technical, um, but like other stuff as well. Just, but the way this league set up, there's only a couple of teams that can really just kill you offensively on any given night. And so as you look ahead of the tournament, it's going to kind of depend on slotting, but there's some situations where Georgia state can win the way they're winning, even if the offensive improvement doesn't come in a huge way that would just kind of better ensure their chances of winning in Pensacola. All right. I feel like we should just talk about the technical because yeah, like I mentioned it kind of, and then you mentioned it kind of. So, um, you know what? I, that game seemed really chippy, uh, especially late there. And it was unfortunate that, you know, the kind of five point play uh, that Georgia State got earlier in the period was nullified essentially by the potential five point play uh, on this end. You know, uh, obviously, Almonis. Smart missed- coaches tech. I, just as an aside, good, you know, Coach Kearns for App State got a tech there. It was a five point swing for. Georgia State, but it definitely gave App some juice. So, you know, coaches get tactical technicals from time to time, and that was definitely, I think, one of them, and it worked out for them in that case, got them back in the game a little bit. I think so, too, you know. Um, and, you know, like I said, Georgia State's lucky that Almonacy missed the the free, the free and one free throw, but, you know, he made the basket, obviously, then made the two technical free throws. Delph made the two free throws for technical. Gotcha. Yes, you're correct. Um, but Corey can't do that. You know, you can't throw the ball at a player like that. And, you know, obviously frustrations are high, but you know, you, you got to keep an even keeled head as much as possible. You know, that could have cost Georgia state the win. It didn't thank God it didn't, but you know, it's unfortunate that we even have to mention it because you know, it's just silly stuff. Yeah. It's probably there were not entirely innocent parties, you know, there's always smack going on in the court. But just don't toss the basketball in anyone's direction like that, like especially in that moment. Like the one thing that can get App State in that game is you turning it over or you giving them free free throws with no time going off the clock like that. And he missed it, so it stayed a four-point game instead of a three-point game. And did Jalen Thomas hit a couple at the other end, extended it back to six. App couldn't buy a bucket, and so... Yeah, it didn't cost you, but that was like their one inroad to an improbable forcing overtime winning the game in regulation. And that would have been deflating for all the hard work that they did for the first 38 minutes and change. And, you know, it's kind of a funny game. Just talking about the app game in general, because. You know, neither team really had anything going in the first half, but 
App State had even less going than Georgia State in the first half. And so Georgia State led 28-16 at the half. And second, there's a stretch there from 243 in the first half to 1029 in the second half, where App State was seven of nine from three. Completely hot, no one could miss. The rest of the game, they were 0 and 11. All of their threes came in that sequence. And unsurprisingly, from about that point, 243, first half, they kind of, they had just gone down their largest lead. They were down 15, three point, cut it to 12. And then the threes that they got in the second half worked the deficit down. Think of that stretch, the closest it got was five, five or six. And then from that point, from the time they hit their last three, the only thing that got them close again was those free throws because they just they went cold. And so it was really only that one stretch where they couldn't miss that they fought kind of back in the game. And then when they weren't hitting every time they were taking a three, the defense got back to what it was doing. They still couldn't really do anything down low, getting offense going against Georgia State. And so that it was peculiar because you just don't necessarily see that much like I know basketball is a game of runs and that it's a hot and cold and shooting is either there or it's not but it's not always that plainly really good really bad that's what got on the tail of the tape for Georgia State this year too a little bit you know they'll have where the offense is there they'll have you know firecracker starts or you know start slow and then kind of heat up immensely and then kind of cool off and the you know and we've we've talked about how you know consistency throughout the half is what's going to help them you know kind of have some more safe wins and you know i guess we just didn't notice that their defense was going to turn on this turn into this but you know it's i i feel like that half for app state i've seen a dozen times for georgia state this year as well when you know app state i think has the most comeback wins at halftime since Kearns has been the coach in NCAA Division I basketball. Like, nationally, they've done that. And it, I'm sure that when they cut it back to five or six, their fans were thinking, all right, it's another one. Like, they've come to expect that type. But, it, again, it kind of goes back to the same thing with the a little bit less of a ho- bigger hole than what South Alabama was. But when you get up by double digits, it does mean that the other team does have a lot more to do. Like, it is easy to cut a double-digit deficit in half, it's harder once you do that to continue to press and continue to get the game closer than that. And I think we saw a little bit of that play out. And, you know, we talked last week. I specifically was like, your senior guards need to be better than their senior guards because that's not what happened in Atlanta, and they won the game. And I actually, I crunched the numbers when all was said and done. Uh, this is the, the big threes of the two teams. I counted... Justin Roberts, Corey Allen, and Kane for Georgia State, and Almonacy, Forrest, and Delph for App. You know, Donovan Gregory is technically a guard, but he's kind of more like a glue guy type. Like, this isn't necessarily... He doesn't help them in, in the same way that those guys do. He's maybe more important, but it's kind of a different deal. But anyway, those three for Georgia State, 38 points, seven assists, seven steals, six turnovers, not great, the six turnovers, 13 of 15 from the free throw line. For App State, their big three, 33 points, five assists, four steals, 10 turnovers, nine of 14 from the free throw line. So Georgia State wins. And it kind of wasn't a blowout by any stretch, but it was enough of one based on how the game played out. You know, you only won by nine, but the way that those free throws lined up, 
only even though Apple only missed three more, it was pretty each way. It was pretty substantial when those free throws happened. Like you talk about the Almanacy one after the technical, the Kane and one, and then the two on the technical that Kurch Kearns gave Georgia State. If sequentially the guys on both sides had opportunities to make those type of game changing plays and Georgia State seniors made more of them. That's what you've been looking to see and hoping to see and something that was going to be required to have them reach the heights that we think that they could still get to. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about this week's opponent. There is just one, and it's that team down south. Georgia Southern got swept in contrast to Georgia State's sweepage action when they made the same road trip north last week and dropped under 500 on the season as a result. They are now 11 and 12 overall and 4 and 8 in conference, currently occupying 11th place. Brian Berg is the head man for the Eagles, coming over from assistant coaching position under Chris Beard at Texas Tech before last season, replacing the departing Mark Byington. He's led Southern to a 24-25 and 25 record in his short time in the borough. The Eagles are in joint last in the belt at 66.7 points per game on offense and fourth in the league in points per game allowed with 64, though the numbers go in the wrong direction when looking only at conference games. They've averaged just under 62 a game in their 12 conference games, while averaging giving up 68 a night. So, gentlemen, Georgia Southern first at uh, the sports arena and then down in uh, the Hanner Fieldhouse. How are we feeling about this series of games? Do we do we do the, the obligatory like throw the records out? It's a rivalry game. Records don't count. I think we have to because uh, I'm checking now. Georgia Southern has kind of had Georgia State's number the past couple of years. And I don't love well, it. Well, overall, since they've, they've both been the same conference, it's kind of been State's deal. And last year, he got the win in the sports arena the only time they played yeah but i, I still remember the 1920 season that, that i don't know losing i think they didn't think it swept that year well it was the, they, they lost the state one in statesboro but then you had those two home losses one of which was in the tournament which right you know the, the current tournament got canceled the next day like universally that game didn't have to take place, but it did. And so it's etched in Georgia state fans memories because it was just not at all a good occurrence. Um, I do think that like that Southern team was at least a good bit better than the team that's currently playing. And this Southern team particularly is just really snake bit offensively. And that's me saying that as someone who's watched Georgia state struggle offensively, like Georgia state's numbers are not great offensively, but Georgia Southern is the worst in some belt play an offensive efficiency. You know, they are about the same at three-point shooting. They are 0.1% better in conference play shooting threes. They've been a good bit better with interior shots, but they take a good bit of threes. Um, and their defense hasn't necessarily been at the same level as Georgia State's. And so... As a result of that, they're losing more of the games that Georgia State's managed to win with their defense because it's the offense isn't doing enough and the defense isn't so good that it's helping get over it. So it's a team that, you know, they're molded on their defense. It's a lot like Georgia State where they want to get the defense setting up the offense. And so it could be one of those things where each of these games are the rock, the rock fights like we've seen Georgia State play. And so... Until Georgia State puts up like a 50% shooting performance, I don't think you could ever say 
any team on the schedule is, you know, Georgia State can't lose to them. But I think especially if they lose the home game, but even if they just split these games, given that they're still trying to work back to a buy in the tournament, I think you'd look at that and say that that would be a missed opportunity for Georgia State. It absolutely would. You know, I, you know, we're encroaching less and less on these are must win games territory. But this is a part of the schedule that is, you know, undeniably softer than it was a few weeks ago. So Georgia State's just going to have to continue to take advantage of that. And, you know, I <laughs> in listening to your breakdown, I feel like we are encroaching on uh, defensive slugfest territory a little bit. And that reminds me of the 2015 Sunbelt Championship game, because of course it does. That game, even though it was actually a good result, has gotten entirely too much run just because we talk about it every year, I feel like, because it's like, hey, remember when they set the game of basketball back 100 years when they played each other in a game that like everyone saw on national TV? That was fun. And you're right. It it does get unnecessary run only because like those two teams just had such a poor performance. Um, I don't foresee that happening this weekend um, in either of these two games. You know, I think Georgia State, it's, there's going to be a lot of energy regardless of where these two teams are in the standings, you know, but Georgia State's just going to have to take advantage of, you know, a Southern team that's probably not able to, you know, put up the offensive production that, you know, we're used to seeing. Last one of these in the sports arena on Thursday, which, you know, we haven't really done the full thing on here, but like folks out there, you only got three more chances to see games in the sports arena. And it's not like this. Yeah, like we've talked about the faults that there are with the sports arena, but like if you have any attachment to that old venue that you saw your games at when you were a student, like there's you're running out of opportunity to do so. And this will be the last one where you can be the you know the rival they're probably going to bring some fans i'm sure it's going to be one of the better attended games of the year probably by a good margin on thursday and so if you haven't had the opportunity to do it in a while i would say that that would be a good game to do so i feel like yeah it's going to be the best final marker of uh the sports arena as it were going to be like the game where jeff went off and got the like put back jam that made everyone go crazy 2016 maybe 2017 that sounds about right and yeah i mean this kind of folds into what we were talking about with like things that georgia state could be doing better in late games and i don't necessarily have a problem with the strategy of just like killing the tempo the tempo killing the clock running the shot clock down running a set and they've been doing it. They did it against South Alabama. They did it against Coastal. They did it some against App. And the problem with it was that they just weren't making any shots out of it. And so all they were doing was killing the clock. And just not even like accidentally, but for a couple of times, was the possession ending in points. And against Coastal on Thursday, gave the slightest opening to Coastal to fight back in. It didn't end up really happening. They didn't really get that close. But I don't necessarily fault the idea. And I think that especially as this team is able to build double-digit leads late into games, the way they're defending, as long as they can cut out turnovers and, you know, techs and all that, they're set up pretty well. But, you know, one of these games where you've got one of those leads and you're running your low-tempo offense, if you hit a couple of those threes, the stress level for the final 
two, three minutes goes way down. Like turn one of these eight to 10 point leads into 14, 16. And then maybe the starters can get a couple minutes to, off and, you know, the bench can come in to finish the game and you can get the guys who don't play as much a couple of minutes because we haven't really had one of those games in a while. Um, and I think that that's the thing is that I don't know that I would talk anyone out of, like, I know that there's kind of contentiousness with the idea of just taking the air out of the ball and horror stories going back to when Georgia State did that unsuccessfully against Louisiana in the first Sunbelt Championship. Again, games that don't need to get run just getting unnecessary run in this podcast. I'm so sorry. Um, but I think that, like, it, it's what you need to do. You just need to run crisper sets in the final 10, 15 seconds and get better looks because I think they've been settling forcing bad looks in situations and like <clears throat> they've been in positions to get a comfortable win. This might be another week where there's the opportunity for that in one of these games. And, you know, George Southern has been scrappy. And so that that's one thing you can say. And so if it is one of those situations coming up again, you know, you're only going to get like, you're in a good position the way you play defense to avoid one of those tough losses in that situations. But you're tempting fate every time it happens. And so it hasn't happened the last three games or the last two games, two of the last three, because it didn't really, that wasn't as much of a problem against app as much as the technical, but you're playing with fire a little bit, the longer that you can't get that in check. And, you know, that comes down to trusting your senior guards to make those plays happen. And we've seen that certainly in the past. All right, so lots to look forward to in this series with Georgia Southern. We'll see how that plays out starting on Thursday. But next, play ball. The 2022 baseball season gets underway on Friday as Georgia State hosts the Mastodons of Purdue-Fort Wayne for a four-game set at the GSU Baseball Complex. Friday's opener is at 3 p.m., followed by a Saturday afternoon doubleheader starting at 1 p.m. and a 12 p.m. matinee on Sunday to finish off the weekend. Purdue Fort Wayne are coming off an 11 and 35 campaign last season, and they play out of the Horizon League. Probable starters listed for the Panthers are LSU transfer Brandon Kaminer on opening day, Chandler Dawson and Trey Horton in the Saturday games, and Dylan Mattella in the series finale on Sunday. So, gentlemen, Panther baseball, what do we got? Definitely jealous of the Mastodon nickname. I think it's great. A uh, little bit less jealous of the baseball pedigree over the recent years for Purdue Fort Wayne. They've struggled a little bit in the Horizon League, um, which obviously Georgia State had a uh, a rough record last year, but they finished twelve and twelve in a good Sun Belt. And as we've talked about, documented multiple times, that out of conference schedule they played last year in baseball is just brutal, um, and it is less so this year. I think. If you're looking for progress for the Georgia State baseball team, if your overall record, not counting, like I think a 12 and 12 Sunbelt record last year was progress. This feels like a real year where you could see that. They've got a lot of guys coming back. They brought in some transfers and good freshmen. They've had some really good recruiting classes, continuing to recruit really well, which is impressive given you know the realities with facilities and being a couple years away from being able to sell them on that brand new spanking stadium down by the basketball arena. And so, yeah, I, I don't know where to accurately put expectations for this team because the Sunbelt is still good. Um, but, you know, you look at this series 
Fort Wayne struggled some over the last few years. You're the home team. I, I feel like it's an opportunity to set the season off right and get some wins racked up for some big lopsided scores and in some innings and get some momentum going for the season. Yeah, you know, the out-of-conference slate this year isn't as bad as it was last year, but it's still not great. <laughs> so I think you're right. You know, it's baseball. You can't necessarily expect four wins. But, you know, if they play well and they come out with three, that's good. You know, that gives you any amount of momentum and any amount of confidence, you know, into, you know, playing Kennesaw State and then playing Florida. And, you know, that the both of those are on the road, you know. So and I think it doesn't really cool off until Sunbelt play, I guess. And like you said, it's pretty difficult. It's a pretty good conference for baseball, you know, and, and getting the, better. I was about to say yeah. in the next few years, it's going to even get better. So, you know, you want to play, you want to start having Georgia state baseball be a bigger impact and, you know, having any sort of, you know, impression and Sunbelt play. So, you know, hopefully they have a good weekend and are able to, you know, get some wins here. We talked to, uh, with the media coach Stromdahl earlier in the week and, yeah, you know, uh, part of what's flavoring my expectations or my thoughts is that I feel like he's got things trending the right direction. When he speaks, you feel like he gets it and he's getting things going. And he, he mentioned a couple of things, and one of them was that Ryan Watson is a returner, local kid. He's a junior out of North Gwinnett. He's this pitcher, he's, he said he threw a lot last year and over the summer. And so he's starting out the year out of the bullpen. They're going to work him back up probably before too long going to be back into the weekend rotation and he probably is going to slot in as the number one guy. And so, you know, factoring that in that he might be the guy considered the best pitcher. He's not going to be in this weekend's rotation. It, It gives other guys opportunities, but as those guys show what they've got, you think in the back of your head that he's probably coming back in a couple of weeks, going to start throwing innings in, yeah, he's the guy who got the win against Vanderbilt last year, had a shutdown performance against literally the best program in America. And so a lot of encouraging uh, results to come from him, I'm sure. You know, a guy like Josh Smith really came on in the outfield last year, interested to see if there's anyone else who joins him with a real, like, spark offensively and just continuing to see how things play out. Uh, it's also nice just to talk about organized baseball uh, because the MLB is – Still, uh, we're still TBD on that happening this year and or when it's actually going to happen. And so definitely glad the college game operating as normal and Georgia State's getting their season underway starting on Friday. So speaking of baseball, we did have a couple of listener questions this week. Uh, First up, Ethan on Twitter wants to know the baseball team is predicted to be not great in conference, but they have some highly regarded MLB prospects on the team and talent can go a long way. How likely is it they exceed expectations in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, pick second to last in the conference. It's really hard not to exceed them. Um, And there are a lot of opportunities to get wins against good teams that you go, wow, you just won a series in, you know, Statesboro against a good Georgia Southern program, or you beat Coastal, who's won a College World Series this decade um, in a series. And you're in a conference where getting above 500, you can really go back at the end of the day and go, that was really, really 
we achieved a lot. Like it is not just easy to just go through some about play and finish with a winning record. You know, South Alabama, I didn't even mention, they're the ones, the conference favorites. And of you know, I think we're the regional went to uh, the regional last year for Sun Belt, and so I think the talent and just the opportunity that you have to rack up good wins makes the chance that you can exceed expectations pretty easy. Because even if you don't get every goal achieved this year, there's probably going to be some tangible things you can point to, whether it's a series win here or a series sweep there or whatever they're able to do in non-conference play. Definitely opportunities. It's going to kind of just be how this team gels as they get going through February and March. Yeah, you know, and, you know, looking at it last year, I think during that tough out-of-conference slate and kind of bleeding into the conference slate, there weren't a lot of opportunities for them to get back-to-back wins. They're just, it's not how it played out. You know, and the losses kind of were in bunches. But, you know, you look at the end of the season last year, like they were pretty competitive down the stretch there. You know, it looks like they won like six of their last eight games. And, you know, it's baseball that happens. You know, bad teams can go on runs in September and blah, blah, blah. But any amount of confidence for this team is just something that they could have used to. And, you know, I remember us talking about that last year. Like, hopefully the point is, you know, you play well now at the end of the season, learn some things, you know, you're figuring some stuff out and, you know, you take that momentum and, you know, go into next year and you're able to buck those predictions that, you know, when people have you picked second to last in the conference. So, you know, since it's largely made up of very similar guys as last year, you know, hopefully they learned a thing or two and are able to take that confidence and, you know, use that momentum and have, have a much better season. And yeah, you know, going back to what coach Stromdahl, when he was talking to the media on Monday, they've got that confidence. You can tell they think they're a good team and that's step one. And so certainly that makes me think that they feel they've got an opportunity to buck those expectations a touch. All right. And next up, Mike from Marietta wants to know if you were a baseball player, what would your walk-up music be? All right, so this one's actually pretty easy um, because I used to play MLB The Show. Um, and there was, a, I don't know if it's still in there now because I don't play it as, anymore, but there is a there was a section in there called Sounds of the Show. And you could set uh, your walk-up music, your pitcher warming up music, your stri- your music when like strike like music for different events. Um, and I was terrible at batting, but I was really good at pitching. Uh, Brady can attest to that. Uh, but uh, for my pitchers, I would always warm up to the Lupe Fiasco song. Uh, the show goes on. Um, I don't know why. It just it always seemed cool to warm up to that song and like have it play over like the stadium loudspeakers and stuff like that. And, you know, just really helping me get into the zone to play a video game. Well, I mean, like pitchers and specifically closers have a racket on cool entrance songs, so to speak. Like there's always the iconic, you know, like Chipper Jones at Crazy Train when he was in Atlanta. And there's always one throughout the league that batters can hit that. but you can't really do better than like the choreographed video and song stuff with closers coming out. And I'm also going to go pitcher. This is something that I think about a fair amount and my answers changed over the years, but it came to me this morning when we got this question and this might be a song that David has no idea. Jordan might be my guy on this. The, uh, the blue oyster cult song Godzilla, because it starts with just a bass drum pounding beat. And then there's a guitar riff and so my idea would be you'd have that bass drum being going, 
with the guitar riff joining it eventually. And as the bass drum starts the song, the lights in the stadium pulse in rhythm with it. And you get that going because after you, as the closer, what you really want is like just like the guitar sound. The lights go in different ways. Like Will Smith right now is with Stranglehold with the Braves. And uh, I mean, no one's ever going to really top Craig Kimbrell. Welcome to the jungle. I don't think in my opinion, but that's the, the mood I'm going through. It's not necessarily about like my favorite song. Like I enjoy other songs more than that, but it's about like the vibe that that's what you want. And I would want to be a closer cool enough to come out to a song like that, even though I'm not. And, you know, my stuff is not like if you come out to a cool song, you got to throw like 97 plus or, you know, whatever requisite in the college game um, or, you know, come out to like the Teletubby song. Like you got to be cool enough for a cool song. You got to be badass enough. And, you know, results may vary on that front as far as me being a professional closer, but that's what I'm going with. Okay, so that Teletubby reference reminds me of, I think, Estrubal Cabrera back in 2019 coming out to, like, the Baby Shark song. And Gerard so, Rapparo. Thank you. So I'm wondering, like, what is the weirdest song, like, to piggyback off Mike's question, what is the weirdest song that you would come out to? There are a couple other, I'm trying to, I don't remember off the top of my head, but someone, like, got pranked and came out to, I think, Jay Beebs a couple, of, this was, like, a decade ago. Like, they, I think because they were a rookie or something, they had to come out to it, but... Yeah, I'm trying to think of like just real, like I don't know, go music, go four, um, go John Cage, come out to four thirty three, which is just silence for oh my god, thirty three seconds. Jordan, go ahead. I feel like I would come out to like the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme song or something, and it would just be the weirdest and cringiest thing of all time. Jordan, I'm sure you've thought a lot less about this question, so. What's your answer right now without having much thought into it? For for like the the worst one or the best no, one? No, no, no. We'll give you a good one. Go go with your standard, what you would go with your answer to the original question. God, I don't know. I just I don't really spend that much time listening to music that isn't like classical or like wind band. I know. Big surprise to both of you in here. Go like, Valkyries. I don't, like, I, don't, about, like, I don't know if I want one. like Adolf Hitler's favorite like piece of classical music to All be right. my, my calling card, but that's a, that's a really good one. Or Night on Bald Mountain would be a cool one. Yeah, I'm not trying to be mean, but we're we're working towards the answers to David's second question. Oh no, we're talking about classical music. I I feel like once you start hearing strings or brass music on baseball stadium speakers, people are starting to check out and be like, "Who is this guy?" Yeah, I, I'm like definitely not the target demographic for like Major League <laughs> Baseball at all. God, what would be I'm I'm just trying to think of like what would be the most ridiculous thing to come out to that like nobody would think is cool. Cause there's always some weird person that just has like an obsession with the most garbage music. <laughs> there was a, a Cubs player who came out to his uh, wife's music uh, but then uh Oh no. That didn't end well. Uh and so that stopped happening. He also no, retired. No, it did not. <laughs> it did not end well at all. I, I mean, yeah, I feel like a dicey situation. What if you just if you want to just mess with people, pick like whatever the most annoying theme song is from the most popular children's TV show, and then just like come out to that thing, and people are just like, "What in the hell is wrong with this guy?" That'd be kind of funny. Nobody would nobody would have a good time, but it, people would talk about it. Which I guess is what you're going for. Yeah, that's that's kind of the whole point, anyway. 
trying to create some sort of interesting, unique, intimidating atmosphere. Although I don't know how intimidating you could be with the. Uh, I don't even. I don't even know what kids watch anymore. I haven't watched cable TV. Yeah, in like I wasn't a cutting in because I was like, I don't have answers. I don't have any go tos. Just to be like, like Teletubbies is a super dated reference, but because I haven't <laughs> thought about kids television since I was a kid, really. Yeah, man, I'm lost. I'm lost on that, and that's that's Top probably Patrol. a good thing. Oh God, that is that still like hyper popular like it was like five years ago i don't know next week on the thursday night uh, children's tv programming podcast <laughs> anyway that's that's enough of that uh thank you ethan and mike for the questions always always enjoy having a good time talking about on and off topic stuff uh based on what you guys want to hear so before we get out of here this week um we we gotta talk about conference usa man we, we just have to in case you have not heard conference usa released their 2022 football schedule uh yesterday as of recording this podcast tuesday and you know everyone's been announcing their uh, conference schedules and that's nothing new but uh they had 14 teams on it and if you're keeping track at home that's three too many teams because they had southern miss old dominion and marshall on there who have all already announced uh, recently that they are leaving Conference USA effective June 30th of this year to join the Sun Belt. And uh, Conference USA wasn't too happy about all of that, and they released a statement. Uh, Conference USA intends to conduct the 2022 to 2023 athletic year with the full 14 institution membership intact. The CUSA board of directors will exhaust all necessary legal actions to ensure all members meet their contractual obligations as defined by and agreed to in the Conference USA bylaws. So uh, good luck with that. But uh, gentlemen, I want to hear uh, what your say, thoughts are. First instance where we need to find a laugh track for the podcast. I can't. The, the, the funniest part of all of this is that Conference USA has been saying stuff like this all along, but they've never had in their bylaws any way to actually financially penalize teams for leaving before the contract's up. And so it's just all bluster and we're going to talk to lawyers and yada, yada, yada. And it's going to be a lot of wasted money, a lot of billable hours. And the teams are going to leave like it. I put out a tweet from the account a couple weeks ago. It's like it's going to be awkward when the Sunbelt releases their schedule with these teams on it and Conference USA does the same. And I didn't realize the timeline was going to be that they were going to already do that. And so I guess when that happens on March 1st and the Sunbelt releases the schedule and it's got those teams on it. <laughs> Is this conference USA going to release another statement that's like, we still think our schedule is right and we're pursuing all legal actions and yada, yada, yada. It is a, a real clown car of a situation. And it's just funny to see this entity try and act with a bunch of leverage that it probably should have, but it doesn't have much of. Honestly, they're just going out real sad. Like that's, I get it. You know, like conference realignment sucks for, some con it's good for Mostly some conferences. <laughs> yes, it's, it's good for some conferences. It's not good for other conferences. Um, but at the same time, though, like you don't have to go out sad. Like conference, you say, baby, what is you doing? I just I I enjoy the the other thing is that like it it came out that they had talked to north dakota state to come to conference usa and north dakota state politely declined it's like i get it you've lost some guys you didn't want to lose you somehow managed to keep western kentucky and middle tennessee state from the mac though god knows why they decided to stay but i feel like there wasn't much of a chance that the bison were going to say yes to your offer there uh but 
appreciate swinging for the fences, putting out schedules that teams are on it that aren't going to be on it. And even like teams within the conference are making jokes about the fact that they're just not going to be on the schedule or even, you know, seeing reporting from people who cover these teams that are like, we've been told the schedule's wrong and there'll be another one in the fall. And it's like, yeah, we all know, which is why it's just all such a ridiculous exercise to begin with. <laughs> but here we are, you know, until it is July and the teams are in the conference or even before March and the Sunbelt puts out their schedule, this is their window to do stuff like this. And, you know, good luck to them. Sincerely. I hope all of this time and effort and money is worth it. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Brady, because I'm sitting here looking at a tweet from the verified UAB football account that is just them posting like their schedule. And then uh, on October 8th, uh, they're scheduled to play Marshall to host Marshall at their new stadium and uh, November 25th hosting Southern Miss. And both of those in the tweet are bolded and they have that shrug emoji next to them on the official verified account. So like everybody knows this is a farce. I just I, it's it's so funny. I, some, somebody also posted a uh, I forget it might have been the the Reddit uh, college football subreddit account on Twitter said something about uh, Conference USA has uh, preemptively scheduled an away loss at billable hours like okay this this is funny well, the whole internet is just clowning them and the, the funniest part is that nobody expected this to be the big realignment drama like obviously there's still stuff to play out with the SEC and we know the SEC is good for a good drama bit and you know, you work Texas into that and that goes double, but like it hasn't happened yet. And so nobody was ready for this subplot where the conference USA was going to lose these teams and just kind of lose their minds at the same time. I, it has taken people by surprise. I think even in the know in college football, just how like this has just popped off to the degree that it has, like you guys will be okay. Maybe. I mean, you might have to go get like, they absolutely they will not be okay. Like it, it's not going to go well for them. And like, I know that we just play that video from the LA tech guy, like over and over again, <laughs> but like, man, you, uh, open mouth, insert foot on repeat. They're, they're going to need a whole like shipment of feet for that. It's just, it's, it's bad, man. Gotta love it. But uh, that, that's all we have to say about that. We're, we're going to see how that unfolds. But of course, we could not get you out of here this week without going through sports bits. And boy, do we have a lot on the schedule this week for the Panthers. Uh, today, as of release of this podcast, of course, we have men's and women's basketball, both in action. Men hosting Georgia Southern at 7 o'clock in the sports arena. ESPN Plus, WRSFM 88.5. And the women travel to Troy to take on the Trojans at 7 p.m. as well. That game will be on ESPN Plus. Friday, men's tennis at Miami in Miami at 11 a.m. Women's tennis at UNC Greensboro at noon. And then baseball, of course, their opener versus Purdue Fort Wayne at the GSU Baseball Complex at 3 p.m. Saturday, women's tennis at Elon in Greensboro, North Carolina at noon. Baseball with their aforementioned doubleheader starting at 1 p.m. at the GSU Baseball Complex. And then men's soccer playing Young Harris College in Atlanta at 2 p.m. Men's basketball at Georgia Southern at 3 p.m. in Statesboro, ESPN Plus and WRSFM 88.5. Women's basketball travel to South Alabama to take on the Jaguars at 4 p.m. on ESPN Plus. Sunday, men's tennis at FAU in Boca Raton, Florida at 10 a.m. 
and then baseball playing Purdue Fort Wayne in the last game of that series at noon. And then Monday and Tuesday, Sunbelt Indoor Championship for track and field in Birmingham, Alabama, all day on ESPN Plus if you want to catch that. And then finally, Wednesday, softball at Georgia Tech, just up the road in Midtown at 3 p.m., baseball at Kennesaw State at 5 p.m., and then men's basketball playing ULM in Atlanta at 7 p.m., ESPN Plus, WRSFM 88.5. So there is a ton of stuff to keep track of this week yes and spring practice starts we buried the lead we got all sorts of stuff going on so get out there support your panthers follow along online and we will catch you in the next episode see ya